All right, well, we are starting a series of messages called God's Secret to Greatness. If you will, take out your bulletins. It looks like this. And in the bulletin is a note page, and it looks like this. And we would love it if you would follow along, fill in the blanks uh, as we go through this message. The title of my message is Pass Me the Humus. Pass me the humus. One M. I love hummus. Any hummus lovers out there? When you have a beard this long, it's required that you enjoy Mediterranean food. I'm sorry. What is that? What, what region is that from? Mediterranean, right? Mediterranean food. Yes. Okay. Arabic food. Whatever. I don't know. When I was in Uganda, I was uh, preaching to some young teens, uh, teen ministers, and uh, I said, how many of you are shocked that a man with a beard this long can love Jesus? And they all were like, <laughs> you have a beard this long, you're a Muslim over there. So I said, don't worry, I love Jesus. Um, anyway, I do all that, I say all that to say I love hummus, but we're not talking about hummus. I love hummus because it has no calories, like hardly any calories, it's good for you, filled with protein. Of course, I undo all the good for you stuff by, by dipping Doritos into it. And, <laughs> going through the entire bag. <laughs> but at least I have a, a non-guilt-inducing condiment for my chips. Um, but we're talking about humus. Somebody say humus. And we're going to go to Mark 10 in just a moment, and we're going to talk about humility. And I don't know if you're watching what I'm watching, but in America, pride is in. Pride is popular. Pride has somehow in our culture become a virtue. I just think, are we aware of what we're doing? Because to me, I don't want to celebrate me. I don't think that it's right to celebrate me. I get uncomfortable when it's my birthday. I get uncomfortable when people point me out. You say, but you're on stage every week. I know, it is by God's grace that I'm up on this stage. And the only reason why I want to be on this stage is to tell you about someone else other than me. Named Jesus. Humility is a lost art, and it is actually a virtue. And I thought, in the month of June, perfect time of the year for God's people to talk about humility. Let the world celebrate pride. We're not the world. We are bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. Amen. We are not of this world. We are not like them. We are not called to be like them. We are called to be salt and light, different, unique, peculiar, strange, in many ways completely different than what we see in the world. And so our celebration is not in ourselves. Our celebration is in the one who saved us from the worst part of ourselves. His name is Jesus. Now, I don't want to attack people who are not Christian because I think that if you're not a Christian, you should be proud. Like that should be something that you do. Not proud that you're not a Christian, just pride. That's the works of the flesh. That's what we are by nature. What is the very first word many babies master? Mine. 
Nobody taught them that. Nobody wakes, nobody grows into their early toddler years saying, yours. <laughs> like fifth graders don't run around the playground saying, no, you go first. That doesn't come naturally, right? Pride is natural. Pride is normal because we are descendant from Adam and Eve who fell and, and cut off their relationship with God. And so un unless the Spirit of God intervenes in us, we are going to be left to the celebration of ourselves. This is what John talked about in 1 John 2.16 when he said, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, 1 John 2.16 is not from the Father, but from the world. This is natural. Now, if there's one thing that the scriptures are very clear about, from Genesis to Revelation, is that God hates pride. It is pride that caused Lucifer, who would become Satan, to want God's position in heaven. And as soon as he tried to get it, he was cast like lightning from heaven to the earth. Ever since then, he's been trying to convince you and I to follow his path of pride. God hates it. Proverbs 8.13 says, Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Proverbs 16, verse 5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Now listen, it doesn't say that people are an abomination. It says the people with arrogance in their heart. I will do life on my terms and I will step on people and I will take advantage of people and I will demand everyone in my world celebrate what I want to be. God says that's an abomination. Because this is not the heart of God and this is not our universe. And so we have to talk about humility because God honors humility. James 4, 6, God opposes who? The proud. He, he sets himself against the proud. He, he opposes their advances. And, and some of you, you're not Christian yet, or maybe you are Christian, but you're very immature in your faith, and you keep trying to push your way through life, and you seem to get roadblock after roadblock after roadblock, and you wonder what's going on. And I want to tell you, there's a prideful spirit in there that God is opposing in your life. But listen, if you humble yourself, and if you surrender your rights, and you surrender the life that you think you deserve, I got good news for you. The Bible says he also gives grace to the humble. He's looking for some people who know that they aren't all that. He's looking for some people who know how to celebrate something other than themselves. This is the heart of the gospel. Now, we are doing a campaign during this series, three-week series, uh, God's Secret to Greatness on Humility. And one of the best ways that you can find your way into humility is to serve. So we're doing a campaign called We Are Waters looking for new serve team members. God's doing some amazing things here at Waters Church. And uh, one of the amazing things is that we just signed a lease for our Woonsocket campus for the Diamond Hill property. So praise be to Jesus. Uh, it's very, very uh, visible from Diamond Hill, uh, that whole strip. It's very visible to the community. 
close to Bellingham. There's, it's just a very perfect spot. Please be in prayer for July 8th. We have a planning board meeting, zoning board meeting at the city council where they will give us permission to, by rezoning that property for our meeting space. Pray for that, July 8th. We have favor with the town, favor with the mayor, favor with the power players. It shouldn't be a problem, but we want God's favor over that whole situation. So that's the last thing. That's the last hurdle before we have a permanent facility in Woonsocket. Praise Jesus. Now, the other thing, yeah. The other thing is you're an amazing church. You are always bringing people. People are always getting saved. We have thousands of people getting saved here at Waters Church, hundreds getting baptized every year. It's amazing to see that. God is on the move. Amen? But one of the things that we struggle with when God is so on the move at a church is there's not enough workers for the harvest. Remember Matthew chapter 9, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Now, here's the thing. All my life, I've been in a church where the harvest wasn't plentiful. I have. I grew up in a church where hardly anybody came to Christ. Hardly anybody got baptized. Hardly anybody invited anybody to church. And I'm so glad that this church is not like that. That we have you inviting people, bringing people that get saved, lots of life change. But the, the bad part, if you could say if there's anything bad about so many people coming to Christ, is that we don't have enough workers to keep making happen what's happening. And so when Jesus, and this was a problem for Jesus' ministry too, because he was doing so much good work, that he turned to his disciples and said, the harvest is so plentiful, but I don't have enough workers. Pray for them. So we're praying for you, some of you, many of you, to step up and serve. So I got this shirt. It's called Not Me. Somebody say, not me. And on the back, I got a number, 500. That's the number of serve team members we're looking to enlist in our We Are Waters campaign. And if you read closely, those are all the places <laughs> where you can serve. If you sign up to serve at Waters Church during this campaign, we're going to give you a box. It's a beautiful little box. It's an unpacking experience that rivals the iPhone. Come on, somebody. Very satisfying. In the box, you will find gifts. One of the gifts is the Not Me shirt. And we are giving this to new serve team members only. Old serve team members, got nothing for you. Um, <laughs> new serve team members. I love the fact that you can laugh at that. That's so wonderful. <laughs> Old crotchety church people would be like, what? You're leading right into my message, so thank you for that. I, want, I, I believe we can get 500 new serve team members. Anybody with me? Um, so here's how I know. When, when we asked you to pay for the roof in Woonsocket, you did. We have over $420,000 already come in through our Above and Beyond campaign. If you're doing the thing where you're committed to it, keep doing it because we need to pay for parking after Woonsocket. Uh, secondly, we asked you to sponsor 400 kids two weeks ago at Compassion Weekend, and you sponsored not 400, but 414 kids for Compassion Weekend. Every time I ask you to do something, you get it done. You know what you are? You are get her done people. Get her done. What do you need next, Pastor? Let's get her done. Only you don't have the stupid southern accent. Okay. Get it done. Amen. Let's get a. I got to get to my message. Pass me the humus. Okay. So, 500 serve team members, humble yourself, serve. That's what this is about. 
Pride is in. Pride is popular. Pride is celebrated. But in the church, we want to celebrate what God wants to celebrate. Now, talking about humility is always a minefield for pastors because the last thing that I want you to think is that I've got humility nailed. I don't. It's the struggle. And the more successful that a pastor gets, the more he struggles with pride. Many of the church websites, many of the places where you go where churches are growing, you see the pastor everywhere. I remember I was in Florida. There was a giga church down there. I went in. I walked in. I, it was a church that I admired, a pastor that I admired for many years. And I walked in. And I'll never forget, I walked into the lobby, and there was a huge, full-length picture of the pastor on the wall in the lobby. I was like, whoa, that did, I didn't expect that. And then sure enough, a couple of months after I visited the church, it came out that he had had several adulterous affairs over the course of years, and he had to be ousted and removed from ministry. There was a pastor in Virginia who actually literally, I kid you not, another pastor of a gigachurch who wrote the book on humility. The name of the book was Humility. And three years after the book come out, came out, he had to be removed from his pastoral ministry. Why? Sexual morality? No. Mismanagement of funds? No. A prideful spirit could not listen to anyone. How ironic that the guy who talked and wrote about humility struggled with humility the most. You have to realize something, that usually the, the thing that the pastor rails at the most is the thing that the pastor struggles with the most. That's why I like to treat all sins equally. That way you have no idea <laughs> what's my issue. All right? Humility is a minefield. I, I heard a story, it's a joke, about a pastor who turned to another friend and said, I finally have got the perfect message on humility, but I haven't yet found a church big enough to preach it to. <laughs> humility is a minefield because sometimes the moment that you think you have it, you don't. And pass me the humus. So I found a passage that I think helps me talk about humility. Let's stand together and read Mark chapter 10. Here's a, a moment in the Gospels where Jesus is on the way to the cross. He's literally days away from the cross, and we're going to pick up the story here in Mark 10, verse 32. And they were on the road. The road to where? The road to the cross. Going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus, on the way to the cross, was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid, and taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, we are going, see, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise, in verse 35, and James and John, the very next verse. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard this, they began to be indignant at James and John. 
And Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great, there it is, among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak, we ask. And we say, in Jesus' name, would you talk to your people? Would you reveal to us the things that you want to reveal to us. May we have ears to hear hearts that are receptive. And may we see Jesus in him only. In his mighty name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Yeah, humus. So what is humus? Humus is this stuff right here. This, this is humus. It's dirt. And actually, we have the, um, the definition up here on the screen of what humus is. It is the dark organic material in soils produced by the decomposition of vegetable or animal matter and essential to the fertility of the earth. What are you? You're dirt. <laughs> I know that you're dirt because I'm dirt. By the way, lots of different shades of dirt in the world, right? On the ground, lots of different shades. Anybody who's proud of their shade is just celebrating dirt. <laughs> That's all you're doing, all right? But here's the thing. The scripture tells us who we are right on the first page. The Bible says in Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed the man of dust or dirt from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. Without the breath of God, we are just dirt. We come from dirt, we return to dirt. Without the Spirit of Almighty God, you will become dirt and remain dirt. That's what you are on the way to do, by the way. I didn't know if you knew that or not, but you are future fertilizer. Yes, you are. You, some of you are at that age where you can see the signs. You're headed down, boy. Everything is sagging. Everything is going that way. Your hair is relocating south. You don't lose hair. No, 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 no. It just relocates to lower regions of the body. I've noticed this in my own life. I'm like, why are you there? I want you up here. Get back up where you started. Your body is telling you you're headed to dirt. From the dust you came to the dust you shall return. The original curse, Genesis chapter 3. Unless the Spirit of God comes into our dirt, we are just future dead people. And the scripture gives us a sobering reminder on the first page of how to see us. How to look at yourself. And the Latin word for dirt, the Latin word for dirt is... Humus, and it's a word that actually has, is the root that produces a lot of other English words. It produces the English word human. 
so you can write this down, human and humility. And guess what? Another word we get humans from, humor. <laughs> and I just had this epiphany. I thought, wait a second. The you mean the same word that we get human from is the same word that we get dirt from, is the same word that we get humility from, and is the same word that we get humor from. Here's what I thought. Write it down. Humility is the ability to laugh at myself. To not take myself so stinking seriously. Can you do that? I don't know if you can do that. But I want to encourage you to learn how to laugh at yourself. Now, not, I don't mean scorn yourself or deride yourself. I'm just talking about just take yourself lightly. Don't take yourself so stinking seriously. Some of you have no friends. I'll tell you why you have no friends. You take yourself too seriously. Nobody wants to be around you. They don't. They don't want to be around you because you get touchy. You get offended. Everything offends you. Everything offends you. I'm so, you hurt me. Like, no one wants to be around you because it's like handling a china doll. And if you just learn to relax, if you just learn that you are dirt, I'm telling you, life will be so much better for you. You'll be able to laugh at yourself. When people insult you, you'll be like, ah, what do they know? Who cares? If somebody criticizes you, say, yep, that's right. I'm still a failure in many ways, but my God loves me. Hallelujah. Like, seriously, learn. Christians, learn. Christians, sometimes you're the worst with this because you, you don't just take yourself too spiritually. You take your spiritual self so seriously. I'm spiritual. I've been Christian for a long time. I've gone to many, many churches. I've been an elder and a deacon and a leader. <sighs> Nobody wants that. Nobody can relate to that. And I was thinking about how you need to learn how to laugh at yourself. When we read Mark chapter 10 in this passage, this is a funny passage. This is a funny passage. Some of you, I heard laughter over here when I was reading it. The reason why we don't see laughter in the Bible is because we take God sometimes way too seriously. We take Christianity way too seriously. And Christianity is a humorous religion. It really is. It teaches us to just relax about things and to take things in stride and not to get insulted and not to get proud and not to get boastful, but to just have this kind of like lighthearted nature about yourself because you know who you really are. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. The Bible says he's walking ahead of his disciples. He's walking ahead. So the image that I see is that Jesus can't wait to get to Jerusalem. He can't wait. They're trying to keep up. Why is he rushing? What's going on? And there was this foreboding feeling about the whole experiment, experience. Like, what's going on? How come he's so diehard to get there? They hate him there. They're going to do some things. I just feel something's happening. And, and Jesus turns and he's like, you're right. Here's what's going to happen. They're going to betray me. They're going to hand me over to the Gentiles. They're going to spit on me. They're going to beat me. They're going to mock me. They're going to kill me me. And on the third day, I'll rise again. Mind you, this is the third time in Mark's gospel that Jesus has told the disciples this is all going to happen. And this time he tells them more details. And on the heels of Jesus telling the disciples he's going to die after being brutally tortured, mocked, and ridiculed, the very next verse James and John stay, say to Jesus, we got a question. Okay, what's your question? We want to be number one and number two in your kingdom. And I just, like Jesus is like, are you kidding me? You're going to ask me this now? Right after I tell you what I'm going through, are you? And, and so here's the thing. I thought about this because Mark's gospel 
is based on Peter's sermons. Peter's going around the early church in the first century talking about what it was like to follow Jesus. Yeah, we followed him, and uh, we really didn't understand a lot of what he was talking about, honestly. We were kind of clueless. Actually, there's a time where he called me Satan. That was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't just me. It was actually James and John. There was, let me tell you about this funny time. Jesus is telling us about his death, and then James and John are like, we want to be number one and two, like right after. Like, I kid you not. Mark's writing it down. Like, I cannot believe these guys. They're a bunch of doofuses. What is up with this? But you know what Peter had learned? You know what Peter had learned? He had learned how to laugh at himself. I was so stupid back then. I see how I see Peter telling the story. I was such a doofus. You guys don't understand. And I got news for you. You're doofuses too. So here's the deal. Jesus wants to save you from your doofusness. (laughs) Learn to laugh at yourself. It's okay. I, 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 I am also struggling with this. Like sometimes I take myself too seriously. So here's what God does when you take yourself too seriously. He gives you a spouse. And if the spouse doesn't get the job done, he gives you kids. (laughs) Now, the number of kids that you have is proportionate to the level of doofusness that you have. (laughs) The more kids you have, the more you need to learn how to relax. It's just fat. I got a prestigious award. It is Father's Day weekend. I got a prestigious award this past week. I am actually kind of humbled to share this with you. Um, my son brought it home. He brought it home from his class. We're putting it up on the screen here. I got this award. Can we put it up on the screen? The Best Dad Award. Evidently, they took a poll in his class. I won. Um, <laughs> just want to like zoom in on a couple of things. Like when it says here, let's go to the next picture because this is pretty cool. Uh, my dad's name is Timmy. He's 42 years old. My favorite memory of dad is he bought me drums and took me to the water park. Stay on this slide for a second. A little bit down on the road, down on the bottom right, he, it says, um, my dad's wallet is full of money. <laughs> I, actually have, I actually have the award right here. It's a Father's Day card from my son, Jing. But then I, my wife had to laugh because there's this one answer. Let's go to the next slide. This is what my dad always says. I just go to the next one. Do as I say, not as I do. (laughs) That's true. I always say that. I say that to my kids all the time. You know, because, you know, I'm a doofus. That's why. You know, I need God. Help me. Save me. Lord. I don't mind sharing that with you because I want you to know that I'm not there. There's nothing more suffocating for a pastor than to pretend he's perfect. And there's a lot of church people who want perfect pastors. Please do yourself a favor and get rid of that desire. You'll be so much more blessed with a pastor who's honest about his failures, who tells you that he's not as spiritual as you think he is just because he's up on a stage with a microphone. It'll be so much better for you at Waters Church because then when I do disappoint you, you'll be like, oh, that's right, he told me. He's a jerk. (laughs) And then ultimately, you will put your faith not in the man on stage, but the one who came out of the empty grave. Jesus. He's the shepherd of the sheep. 
He's your savior. He's your best friend. He's the bright and morning star. He's the son of the living God. He's the champion of our salvation. He's the victorious one who conquered sin, death, and the grave. He's the savior of the world. He's the author of life. He's the light of the world. He's the one who's coming back again, and he's going to reign eternally over the universe for eternity. Put your faith in him. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful that you are a church that gets that. You are, because you never come to me with my children's failures or my failures. You don't. Thank you for being a church that understands that I'm a doofus. But humility is about laughing at yourself, not taking yourself so stinking seriously. I think it begins there. Let's get to the points. Number one, humility is not thinking less of yourself Okay, it's thinking of yourself less. And this point comes straight from C.S. Lewis. It's a very famous quote from him. It's not that you think you're a nobody. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You are not a nobody. The people walk around saying, I'm, I'm just dumb, I'm just a loser. That's just self-pity. That's not humility. Humility is understanding exactly who you are and being willing to serve anybody because you know you're no better than anybody. And, and so it's just thinking of yourself less. When Jesus is talking to the disciples, the very first thing that he says is, see, in verse 33, see, see the Son of Man is going. I want you to say see. see. And I think that he prefaces his phrase here with see because right now the disciples don't see. When you're not, when when you struggle, you know you struggle with humility when you fail to see other people because you're so consumed with yourself. And I think that the best way to get healing for your self-obsession is to get out of yourself and serve someone else. That's why we're doing this uh, campaign. It's healing Narcissism is a serious problem for our culture. They did a recent survey of college graduates. They scored three times higher on the narcissistic personality disorder scale than those who graduated college 20 years ago. Narcissism is on the rise. Narcissism is an obsession with self. Where does it come from? It's actually based in Greek mythology, the Greek god Narcissus. He's a very handsome Greek god Narcissus, and he was beloved by everyone. And there was a Greek goddess named Echo who fell desperately in love with him, and and he rebuffed her advances, and so she faded off into the woods. Echo, 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 echo. And so uh, Nemesis, the Greek god of vengeance, decided to punish Narcissus for his mistreatment of Echo, and so he made him see his reflection in the water. And when Narcissus saw his reflection in the water, he fell hopelessly in love with himself. And realizing that it was only a reflection, he realized that he could never have a romantic involvement with himself. And so what did he do? He committed suicide. That's Greek mythology. And let me just say, they nailed it. Because the more narcissistic we become as a culture, the more suicidal we become as a culture. This is not a coincidence that our teenagers, the more we've celebrated them, the more we've handed them trophy after trophy after trophy, the more we've tried to build their self-esteem as their scores and SAT scores have gone plummetingly down, and we have celebrated that, the more suicidal they feel because you're not 
made to celebrate you. This is counter to who you are. This is counter to how God created you. It actually runs cross, cross against the grain to your DNA. You're not created to celebrate you. You are created to celebrate the God who made you. You're created to serve others. You're created to help and be a part of a community where you contribute and your contributions empower other people. But we live in an age where that is a lost art and the church needs to lead the charge to get it back. And James and John, the sons of that lady, come up to him and says, and they say, we want, that's narcissism. Yeah, whatever, the cross, whatever, we want. Whoa, 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 whoa. Get, get your eyes off of yourself for a moment and see someone else. Again, you're not, you're not gonna deride yourself. Humility remembers, write this down, I am dust, but fashioned in the image of the divine. The beautiful thing about the first two pages of the Bible is that it tells us that, number one, we're dirt, but at the same time, we are in God's image. What a beautiful balance, amen? Because I think that most people go to counseling because they go to one extreme or the other. They're over here on the dirt extreme. I'm a loser. I'm a nobody. I'm just, I'm just terrible. Okay, wait, wait, wait. You're not, you're not. So the counselor has to walk them back. Or they go to counseling because they're prideful and arrogant and life doesn't go how they expect it to go. And so the counselor has to walk them back. And here's the thing. The Bible is God's great counsel to tell you, stay in the center. You're not dirt only, and you're not God. You are dirt made in the image of God. Perfect balance. That's where you want to be. That's a great self-assessment. That's exactly how you should see yourself. Number two, humility is the gateway to God's purpose for me. You want purpose? Get humble. You want purpose, meaning? You want a calling? Get humble. This is how it works in the economy of God. This is how it works. So the disciples, James and John, say, grant us, give us one to sit at your right and one to sit at your left in glory. Now, they have this quest for glory. Where did it come from? Well, they've been listening to Jesus. Jesus has been talking about glory. In Mark 8, he says, um, I'm coming back with my angels in glory. Ooh, glory. Whoa, I hear you say, ooh, what? glory? What about Glory. And then in another passage, he says to them, you're going to sit on the 12 thrones with me, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. They're like, whoa, thrones, cool. And then in another passage, right before this passage, the rich young ruler walks away from Jesus because he doesn't want to give up his riches. And Peter turns to Jesus and says, what's going to become of us? We've given up everything for you. And Jesus says to him, what? He says, don't worry. Anybody who's given up anything for me and for the kingdom will not fail to receive a hundred times as much in this life and in the life to come. Blessings, glory, goodies. But for James and John, it wasn't enough. They wanted to be first in line. <laughs> first in line. Jesus says to them, you don't know what you're asking. And then the question. What a penetrating question. Are you able to drink the cup I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? But baptism and cup are Old Testament metaphors for suffering and death. What does he say? Are you ready to suffer? Notice that he doesn't say, how dare you ask this question? You want to be great? Okay, question. Are you ready to suffer? 
Are you hearing that? You want to be great? You want to be used by God? You want to find your purpose? Be ready to suffer. That's how it works. You say, why does it have to work this, this way? Because the God of this world usurped God's authority by being proud. The only way to undo that is through suffering. Jesus modeled it for us. And every Old Testament saint modeled this for us. You see, I find that purpose is on the other side of humility, suffering, and struggle every time. Write this down. Humility produces slash precedes purpose. The people who God uses are the ones who have been through hell and have come out praising his name. I'm just telling you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we will not bow to your prideful statue, Nebuchadnezzar. And he threw them into the furnace, and God himself showed up in the furnace, and they came out, and not the smell of smoke was on their person. They stayed through the suffering and learned how to praise through the humiliation, and they came out with a testimony of God's goodness. I have found that this is how it works, friend. Joseph was handed over, sold as a slave, thrown in a pit, cast into a prison, wrongfully accused of rape, left his rot and die in Egyptian prison, and all that suffering produced Joseph, who was ready to bless the world with grain. David had to run from Saul's spears and Saul's chairs run for his life for eight years, live in the wilderness, go out like a madman, like a crazy person, trying to just survive. And he wrote some of the most beautiful hymns and the most beautiful psalms of the Bible. Why? Because he learned how to get through the trouble with God as his strength in spite of what people did to him. Moses tried. Oh, he tried. He tried to deliver the Israelites on his own strength. He killed an Egyptian. He thought, this is how God is going to use me. And as soon as he was found out, he tucked tail and ran for his life. And he spent the next 40 years of his life in the wilderness shepherding someone else's sheep. All the dreams gone. All the hope gone. All the thoughts of greatness gone. 40 stinking years in the wilderness. And that's when God shows up. When he's finally emptied of himself. When he has no self-confidence left. And God says, you're exactly who I need. Because the moment that you lose your self-confidence, I can finally fill you with my confidence and put my spirit in you. So that what you do is far more than you think you can do. God has to do this with us. He has to cut you open and let your selfishness and pride and arrogance and ego spill out to the point where you think you got nothing left to offer. And in that very moment is when you're thirstiest for the Spirit of God to come and fill you and empower you. I remember when I was going through a rough time as a pastor years ago, over 10 years ago. People were leaving the church. The church was shrinking, not growing. All my friends' church is growing. I thought, what am I doing? I got nothing left. I can't do this. God was humbling me. Me and my two friends got into a van. We had no money for airline tickets. The church was broke. I was broke. We drove all night down into the bowels of South Carolina to a pastor's conference, one day conference, and I'll never forget. We sat down in the chairs, licking our wounds, feeling like we got nothing left. And the very first speaker got up to the stage, 
And he looked at the crowd, and the very first words that came out of his mouth were these. Those whom God would use greatly, he must first wound deeply. I said, that's it. That's all I needed. I'm going back with a, with a ferocity. I'm going back knowing that I know if God needs to wound me to get his goodness out of me, then let him wound me so that other people can be healed by me. That's what I want in my life. I want God's power, not my power. I want God's spirit, not my spirit. Some of you are getting wounded right now. You're getting wounded by people you've trusted, you've betrayed, you're hurt, you're getting people coming at you. You got a boss who hates you. You got someone in your life that just needles you. You're like, why am I going through this? You're going through this because God is trying to pull out of you all the stuff that's not gonna help you, all the stuff that's gonna hurt you in the long term, all the pride, all the arrogance, and he's telling you, listen to me, he's telling you today, you are not like this world. You are my child, and I will not let you become like this world. I got a plan, and I got a purpose for you, and I want you to follow what I say and not what they say. And when you listen to my voice, I will break down the barriers that are in your life. I will elevate you to the place that I see fit for you. And you won't have to do it. I'll make other people do it because that's how I work in my saints. I'm telling you something. I'm telling you something. This is how it works. When you humble yourself, when you let God bring you through this stuff, this is where you find purpose. This is where you find it. You don't find purpose in a membership class at church. You find it on the backside of a desert when you think you got nothing left to offer. And God shows up and says, now you're just what I need. So Jesus goes on, he says, you don't know what you're asking. And he says, verse 40, the seats that you're asking for, they're not mine to give in verse 40. They're prepared for somebody else. My father's prepared them for somebody else. Notice the submission of Jesus to his father. I don't even make those shots, those calls. My father does that. That's his call. He models this for us. And then the 10, I love this, verse 41. The 10 heard this, and they started to get ornery at James and John. You know what I love about the Gospels is that it tells us how jacked up the relationships were between the disciples who were walking with Jesus. So that if you think, well, my church and my small group argues all the time, well, so did Jesus's. Like, get over that. And then verse 42, I love this verse. They're all arguing. They're all getting mad at each other. And it says, and Jesus called them to himself. Don't you just love the tenderness of Jesus here? They're all fighting. How dare you, James? How dare you? You guys are just jerks. I can't stand. All right, guys, shh, come, 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 come. And then he says, you know something? I know how you guys see the world. I know. I see the world you see. You know. You know this. Here's how it works. The Gentiles, they lord their authority, they boast, they brag. You know what? If Jesus was saying something to us today, if he was standing here on the stage re-saying those statements to us today, he'd say it like this. He'd say, yeah, I know. I know how it works in America. I know. It's Pride Month. I know. They celebrate themselves. I get it. I know Hollywood has 50 award shows for themselves. I know. Pretending to be somebody else, they give themselves countless awards. I know your boss doesn't recognize your authority. I know he just uses you. I know he's taking advantage of you. I know, I know how it works in the world because I came and I lived in this world. I get it. I know that this world is filled with people putting every instance of their lives on Instagram so that everybody else can celebrate them. This is how it works in the world. We understand. You understand. But it's not going to be that way with us. We're going to be different. We're going to serve. Here's what we're going to do. The one who wants to be great, verse 43, is going to serve everyone. 
when you serve, when you get down and you serve someone else, you meet Jesus there. Because he says, I am among you as one who serves. And when you serve, you don't need a degree. Martin Luther King Jr. said, you don't need a degree. You don't need a doctorate. You don't need a church. You don't need a following. You don't need a company to serve. You just do it. And that's when God starts to change lives through you. Thirdly, humility embraces serving God's purpose to change people's lives. Can God humble you to get you to the point where you're emptied of yourself so that he can fill you with his spirit so that you can start changing other people's lives? That's how it works. How do I know? Because that's how it worked with Jesus. He who was in the very form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but emptied himself and made himself nothing. And taking on the very form of a servant and being found in appearance of, as a man, he humbled himself. And he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility precedes glory. And when you get humbled and emptied of yourself, God fills you with a spirit that has the power to change hearts around you. You want to change that person who's an atheist and argues with you about stupid social issues? You serve them. You want to win that husband to Christ who is hardened to the gospel? You serve him. You want to win that friend? You want to win that person who just, they just instigate, they just argue? You serve them. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And because Jesus served, our lives are changed. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Because the Son of God served and went to the cross and died to ransom us. Ransom, the word litron in Hebrew, Greek, meaning to set someone free from slavery. You're either a slave of the world and the prideful, boastful measures of the world, or you're a slave of a God who's loving, gracious, and kind. Which one are you going to serve? There's no middle ground. When you come to Christ, he sets you free from all that nonsense that'll kill you so that you can find life in giving your life to bless others. The last thing I want you to write down is a statement. Humility says, I'm the purchased possession of God to accomplish his life-changing purpose in the world. That's what I am. I'm dirt that God has shaped for his destined purpose. Would you stand with me? And leaving that verse up on the screen, leaving that statement, please, up on the screen. I want us to say it. Humility says, say it with me, one, two, three. I'm the purchased possession of God to accomplish his life-changing purpose for the world. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to embrace humility.